morning, everyone. It's good to have you here again, and uh, particularly for those who are guests, let me introduce myself. Um, my name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team here, and I'm really glad you're with us today. We're going to spend some time looking at Scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10, and it's in the New Testament. It's one of the biographies that tell us the story of Jesus, and it's about this far through Scripture. Okay, if you, maybe you find it in your, on your smartphone or a tablet, but if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew rack there. As a matter of fact, if, you'd own, if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have one that you can actually open, we'd really like you to take that as our gift to you, okay? We'd be glad if you do that. While you're turning there, uh, uh, there's a phenomenon that's taking place across the country of late that, uh, excuse me, kind of interests me. Namely, you pull up to the back of a minivan and they tell you who's inside. Have you ever seen this? These stick figures, have you seen that? Or, you know what I mean? And I... And, uh, <laughs> It just makes me wonder about what kind of families and what kind of neighborhoods we live in, as I've been looking at these of late. And uh, like, for example, here's one on the screen that's kind of typical and normal. You would probably see this, right? A, a, a dad and a mom and two kids. Uh, one's got, uh, the girl's got something blowing the breeze. You must have a soccer player, baby and a stroller. So three kids now. And I think a dog and then a cat. And so that's kind of like, um, Dad, I don't know what he does. Does he play racquetball, maybe? And Mom's on the phone and shopping, something to that effect. So it's kind of like, it's way too typical, right? Because there are probably some families in your neighborhood that don't fit that profile. Like, for example, look at this next family. <laughs> she, th- that family is just a wee bit different. Uh, one lady with uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven cats and two kittens. I, I think that's probably against city code, don't you? <laughs> it's against my code, I'll tell you that. Or here's another, here's another family. Oh yeah, these guys. I, it's a bit rough to me, the, the, uh, the Star Wars family, because the father is Darth Vader, the evil guy. I'm not liking that very much. That's not really, I don't want to be portrayed that way, but I guess they do, okay? Here's another one. Now, I don't know how you fit all those people in the van. I, can't, I tried to count it, and I couldn't figure out how many there. As a matter of fact, if you look at the bottom left-hand side of that, of that screenshot there, you'll notice there's a crease in the tailgate. That's from them shoving everybody in and <laughs> slamming the door shut. You all get in there now, okay? That, I think that's what's going on there, all right? That, my hunch. Okay, here's another one. You guys are terrible. You're laughing at that family's misfortune. The other, last night they went, oh, they, they were a crowd of compassion. You are not. You are awful. I mean, mom's falling off and you're, how rude of you all. Oh, appalled. Shame. Shame. There's a position available. See the driver. Yeah, right. And the kids are waving. I love, I love. There's one that's an angel and one that's a devil. See, you got a halo and horn. Uh, I'm not going near that. But anyways, moving on. One more. I think one more. Yeah, this one. Nobody cares about your stick figures. Bomb, 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 bomb. Your family right beside the coexist and the peace symbol. Talk. Of, this person needs counseling. They, 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 they need counseling all the way. So what, if you were to put on the back of your van, what would you put? Or let me ask you this, what's on the back of the vehicles in the, your neighborhood? 
You know, I, I, I know a few things about our neighborhood. We've lived in our neighborhood since 2003. Uh, it was a neighborhood that where every, all the houses were built pretty well at the same time, or at least within a year, 12 to 18 months of each other, and all built by a guy out of Springfield, a contract out of Springfield. And um, when you got down to our end of the street, ours was the first house that went up, and so we were there as the people across the street and to the left and to the right as their houses went up. And so, to be honest, it was a mess there for about a year with all the basements being dug and, you know, stuff sliding off the... You know, all the houses are built on a, on, a, on a hill towards each other, so all the mud would come down the street, and roof nails would come. I mean, it was just a mess, and people kept getting, um, kept getting flat tires, I think, from just the stuff that was in the street all the time. And you get it. You're in, a, you're in a construction zone. There's no use complaining about it. That's what you get when you're building a house. Okay. But somewhere along the line, one of the neighbors called up the guy in Springfield and said, okay, we're getting a lot of flat tires. Would you, extend, would you send out a street sweeper and kind of vacuum the stuff up? And so they sent out, not a vacuum sweeper, but an actual sweeper, like with a big brush. There it is right there. And uh, it, it arrived in the neighborhood, and I got to tell you, it sat there for four or five weeks, and nobody did anything. Me. <laughs> It's just getting worse and worse and worse, and more and more flat tires. And so um, we all noticed the key was in it. I'm just saying, what would you do, what could you do if you were a nameless guy in the neighborhood who had spent a summer up in the northern forest of British Columbia working in a logging mill where they taught you to drive all sorts of crazy vehicles. What would you do with the key right there? What could you do? I'm not saying, I'm just asking. <laughs> what, was the, what would the Bible say you should do in that moment? Well, the Bible doesn't specific, well, I guess the Bible does answer the question of what we would do in a situation where there's a need. I want us to look at a story today where um, it's a story that Jesus told, and it's about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. Oh, no, that's a joke. <laughs> this, is, this is where a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan come across a guy who's half dead, and uh, they're going to figure out what to do with him, okay? So, read with me Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin at verse 25, and we read this on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So he's talking about a lawyer. Teacher, the lawyer asked, what must I do to, etern- to inherit eternal life? And it's a very appropriate question. What have I got to do? I, I mean, I, I'd like to know, uh, how, how am I going to live forever? What's it going to be like to be in heaven? It's a legitimate question. What I like about this is, though, that Jesus kind of, you know, he's not going to get trapped by somebody. So he says, okay, he, he flips the question back around and asks the re- question and response. What's written in the law, he replied. What, how do you read it? And with that, the lawyer answered. Very familiar passage of Scripture says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. So here's, I want to know what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, he, and Jesus says, those of us who follow him know that it's all about the God, God's grace in us, that we love the Lord in response to that, we love the Lord our God, and that we are to live in a way that helps others correspondingly. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, so you've answered correctly, and go and do that. 
And, and, um, but the lawyer goes, well, how far do I do that? How, who do I treat as my neighbor? And with that, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and he also apparently passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey. Look at what he did. So he's going to heal the guy, then he's putting him on the donkey, and brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I think those of us who've walked with Jesus for any period of time find this to be an incredibly disturbing story. Because we are, if you walk with Jesus, you'd be considered, if you will, religious. And yet the religious people in this story don't do anything. You've got some religious leaders. You've got a priest, namely clergy. You've got a Levite. We don't use that kind of language in Protestant circles or in, in Christian circles. But a Levite, in the context of the Jewish people who were listening, they would have understood the Levite to be the key worship leader. Maybe not the preacher, but the worship leader in the local synagogue or the temple. And so you've got those two guys, and you've got a guy beat up, left for half dead, and the religious person walks on by. Now, if you've been in church any long period of time, or perhaps you've read some commentators on this or some other people, there are all kinds of reasons that you could give why the religious people just walk on by. But the truth of the matter is, they walk on by, and therein lies the problem. Where every minute of this guy's life counts, and where he's about to die, he's going to go from half dead to three quarters dead to fully dead. It's a problem, right? And then a non-religious fellow comes by, a Samaritan. Now, when we hear the word Samaritan these days, we, we don't, we hear, well, he's a good Samaritan. It doesn't sound so problematic to us, because we don't understand the ethnic hatred that the Jewish people who were listening to Jesus had for Samaritans. As a matter of fact, um, there was a saying that ancient Jews had, and that was this. There is no such thing as a good Samaritan. There's no good in any Samaritan whatsoever. And so Jesus is really messing with the irony of this story, saying that the best guy in the picture here is the guy you hate. And we go, well, I don't know. How's that play? Well, maybe another way to think of it would be this way. If we said two religious people, walk past a guy, a pastor, and a church elder. They walk on by. But then somebody who is an active fighter and promoter of, say, Al-Qaeda and, or ISIS stops by. Somebody who's known for promoting death and doing evil things. The most obnoxious, non-compassionate person we know is the one who stops and picks up the guy. Suddenly we find and hear the offense that these Jewish people would have heard as Jesus was telling the story. And I want you to notice what happens as he gets involved in the, in the life of this gentleman who's dying by the side of the road. Do you notice, first of all, he interrupts his story and his life and his direction. He stops and he picks up the guy. He, gets his, he allows, because he wants to be a good neighbor, he allows his life to be interrupted. 
Then an interesting thing. He arranges that the guy can use his vehicle. All right, so the Samaritan is used to riding on the donkey, but he says, you ride and I'll walk. And so now he's, he's, he's basically given up his method of transportation. And then he goes somewhere and he pays for the guy's care. It'd be like you saying to somebody that you see by the side of the road, okay, it's an emergency, I'll get you to the ER. But then in the, when you get to the ER, you say, well, good luck to you. No, how can I pay for what the services you're about to receive? And in fact, he not only pays for the care, but he incurs debt. He says, whatever I owe you, I'll pay in the future. So he allows for debt to occur, accrue. And then, I like it. He does the, you know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. I'll be back. Sure enough, he says, what, whatever, I'm coming back to, to take care of the situation in the days ahead. And I would suspect that all of us would then ask, okay, what are we supposed to do? How far do we go with this? Well, could I give you two keys? There's lots of things we could look at in this story today, but two things I want us to examine in light of what's being said in the story. First of all, I think we have to ask, just like the lawyer did, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm responsible for? And I would suggest to you, your neighbor and the people who would be considered your neighbors are not just the people in your neighborhood, but it is a much larger group than you can imagine. Truthfully, if you want to look at scriptures from a holistic point of view about how we are to view other human beings, we are to view them all as our neighbors. This is why. If you follow the understanding of Scripture, then each and every person, each and every human is made in the image of God. Each and every person has the creative genius of God put into them. And when we come across other people, they are in fact holding up a mirror to our own humanity. They are allowing us to see the places where we mirror God and where we fail to mirror God. And so the ways in which we respond either remind us that we are people as followers of Jesus who are redeemed, or we are people still living in a fallen state, moving away from God. So the question is, who is my neighbor? Well, it's, it's a case where we say, the understanding of Scripture is that people are in relationship together. People are to do life together, and they are to be treat one another as we would see each other having the image of God within each other. And so to that extent, a neighborly relationship has to be marked by community, the sense of doing life together. It can never come out of self-interest. It can never come out of anything but charity and care. And in our day and time, sometimes we miss that because we're a little bit different than the way things were in ancient Palestine years ago. In, you know, we, we, we understand that, well, we live in a technical age, but a technical age is far removed from industrial age, which is far removed from an agrarian economy like the people of ancient Palestine had. And so we say, well, they were, they were farming communities. But friends, when we think farming communities, our understanding of a farming community is so different than what, what theirs was. Because in our day and time, a farming community is like what we have here in central Illinois. We have farms, lovely homes, with uh, green grass all the way around, and then tall trees that act as wind buffers and, you know, f family silos or farm silos and that sort of stuff. And then you drive a mile or three-quarters of a mile and you come to the next family farm and so forth and so on. That's not the way it was when, when these people were alive. 
An agrarian culture within ancient Palestine was such that everybody lived in a village. They didn't live out on their farms. They would walk to their farms during the day to go work. But they lived in villages because they didn't have the luxury like we have of vehicles or even horses where they said, if I need to get somewhere quickly, I can get there. No, they didn't want to live out there where it was unsafe and no one was around. They lived in these communities and they would go out there during the day and then come back. And why did they do that? Because they knew that there was safety in numbers. They knew that they were able to care for one another. Now, that's not saying they always got along. Scripture would certainly indicate there were lots of problems, no doubtedly, undoubtedly. But there was never a case where they just kind of did life apart from themselves. I mean, it's different for us, isn't it? We, We don't even have to be neighborly if we live in a neighborhood, to be honest, because we can... I mean, if you come home from work or the store or from school, you know what you can do? You can pull up to the driveway, and what is it, about four or five houses before you get to the driveway, you push the button on the visor, right? Right? And the reason you do that is because the garage door, you want the garage door to be up by the time you're there, so you don't have to spend more time in the driveway than you need, right? (laughs) Right? And you pull in, and you push the button, and the the garage door's coming down before you're even out of the car, and you don't need to see any neighbors and you go in your house. And you can stay in there indefinitely for a long period of time. You've got food in the refrigerator. You have, you have a telephone if you need to reach anybody. You can do life all by yourself for the next 12 hours until the next morning. You come out, you walk through the laundry room, open the door of the garage, reach over there and push that little button and the garage door begins to go up. But before it's all the way up, where are you? You're inside your car with it all hermetically sealed. <laughs> And you can pull out, right? And you're, 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 you're backing down the driveway, the door closes, and you're on your way, and you haven't had to talk to anyone for the last 12 hours if you didn't want to. Is that the way that Jesus would want us to live? I wonder how our culture depicts this. Perhaps you watch HGTV. Do you watch HGTV and all the houses that are, that are redone and they refix and they work in gardens and everything? What's the show that's coming out of Waco, Texas these days? This young couple, Fixer Upper. You all have watched it, right? Some of you, some of you have. It's pretty interesting. You've got a young couple in their mid-30s. They've got some kids. I think they have three kids. They own a real estate company and a construction company. And the basic premise is they'll find an old house an older home that's not worth a lot of money, and they'll say to a family or an individual or a couple, you buy this house and then give us a budget of sixty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars and we'll fix it up to be your dream house. And in 30 minutes, they do that. <laughs> in 30 minutes, it's done, right? And then the couple comes back and they're going to see that it's the big reveal. And what do you have? You always have that big photograph that's if the old, of what the house used to look like. It's got to be like 10 feet tall and 25 feet wide. And they say, here's your new house. And they begin to pull the, the uh, picture apart. And what happens? Commercial break, all for crying out loud. <laughs> and it's the longest commercial break in television history, right? They've saved up all the commercials for the last 30 minutes to wait there. And then you, they open it up and you see it. Very fascinating. And there are other shows on that television you know, station about other homes that are being fixed and buying. And, and it's all very fascinating. But you know what I've noticed about it? It's all about that individual family or that individual homeowner. And you never have a sense of what neighborhood that is set in. Or you'd have, a ne- you'd have no context of who the neighbors are. 
And it's not a criticism, but it's an observation. They've got 30 minutes. They don't have time to unpack everybody's story. But I wonder if that's an understanding of how we often do life. As long as my house looks good, and if you take the photograph apart, as long as everything looks good on the other side of that photograph, all is well. Is that being a neighbor? We as a congregation have said that we want to reach 10% of this city. It's called 10. That in 10 years, we're 18 months into that project, saying that can we see 10% of the people of our community who don't know Jesus begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? And we've had some really good things happen in that regard. But what, the reason we're doing that is because we want to say, okay, we want to, it's a call to evangelism. We want to see people to come to know Jesus. But may I remind you, friends, the best way to do evangelism is by doing what this man did in, as the Good Samaritan. And that is, it's got to be rooted in kindness. It has to be rooted in the way in which we choose to live our lives in the places where we are. We have to love where we are. Not just love it, but we have to actively love people where we are. Because, frankly, the best kindness that we could offer anybody is to say, here's the way to heaven and here's how to avoid hell. Now, I'm wondering if you would choose to do that this, this summer. Could you choose to be kind and in the midst of kindness point people to heaven versus pointing them to hell? I said I had two keys for you. One was that we had to ask who our neighbor was. The second one is found in what, how the story ends, okay? So the, the, the Samaritan cares for the guy. And then in verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, show mercy. Show mercy. What is mercy? Well, the word that's here in, in, in Greek is, a, uh, the word for mercy is elios. It means more than the guys, uh, let me say it this way, the guys, the religious guys walking past the, walking past the guy in the ditch, they had no mercy. They may have felt sorry for the guy. Look at that poor sucker lying down there. wonder what happened to him. That's feeling sorry, but this, mercy is way beyond that. Mercy has some outward actions connected to the feeling sorry. In fact, it, it, it has this understanding that there's an imbalance of need versus resources, that there's a person down here who has a need, and there's a person up here who has resources to meet the need and to bring balance. That's what each of us have experienced, isn't it, in terms of our relationship with God, that we were people who absolutely needed mercy from God, and we received that mercy from Jesus Christ. And, and we who were unable to help ourselves, we read in Scripture that Jesus, who is rich in mercy, gave his mercy to us. I want to see if I can help you learn to do that this year, this summer. Teach myself as well. And, and um, maybe a way to describe that and to begin to get you to think about how we could do this for our neighborhoods. Because if we followed Jesus Christ then we have some resources that those people need, right? I, I want you to, well, I've got a mission for you. Take a listen to this and see if this sounds familiar. What's that from? Any idea? Mission Impossible, right? 
TV show from the 60s, 70s, I don't know when it was from, and now, now there's some movies starring Tom Cruise. You're familiar with the scene, right? An agent, a government agent of some sort, some, from some dark agency somewhere or other, gets a scene presented to that says, this is a situation that's going to be off the books, and you can fix this situation. And he's listening with headset or with a telephone, or in the early days, it was a self-destructing tape recorder. Remember that? And um, it was, and there we go, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And the mission impossible became the mission possible because they would choose to accept it. Well, I've got a mission possible for you this summer. Pretty easy on the first glance, but maybe not so easy after all. Your mission impossible, your mission possible this summer, me too, simply, can you be kind? Can you be kind in your neighborhood? Because there are some people in your neighborhood who don't deserve it, and they're way down here, and you've got the resources of Jesus Christ in your life, and uh, they're headed to hell, you're headed to heaven. Wouldn't it be good to pour some resources into their lives so they weren't headed to hell as well? And you go, well, I can't be an evangelist. I don't. You want me to wear a tag that says First Christian Church and wear a white shirt and go from door to door? I can't do that. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not suggesting that that's what God calls us to do in the context of what we're doing in this program and what we're calling you to do this summer. Instead, I'm suggesting it is our responsibility as people who have the resources of God and the resources of Jesus Christ. It is our responsibility to do so. Well, I want to change that. Instead of it being our responsibility, collectively, can I make it a little more pointed this morning and say, for each of you, for each of you sitting in the seat where you're sitting, it is your responsibility. It is your calling. It is your charge. It is your work. It is your God-given task. It is your assignment. It is your heavenly order. It is your divine directive. It is your commission. It is your goal. It is your mission. Should you choose to accept it, be kind. Show mercy. That's what Jesus said to the lawyer. Go and do likewise. Well, I don't know. I don't have that kind of language. Well, language is not the point. There's no language here in this story. All there are, all we have are, wor- are, are, are actions that speak way louder than words. We have a lot. And mercy says we will continue to meet the need as long as the need exists. Can I help you do that in your neighborhoods this summer? We've been, we've been kind of leading you to this over the last few weeks, asking you to consider ways that you could be engaged in your neighborhood. In, um, in the last few weeks, we've been asking you to go around and pray just quietly, not weirdly, but pray in your neighborhood. Do you remember this card? It's, been on, it's going to be on the screen here. We've been asking you to pray this. Can we pray this and, and declare this together again today? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his fi- shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And then beyond that, after you did that, we said, hey, how about getting to know, make certain you know some of the names of the people in your community. And we had these cards and Les and I have filled ours out. And there's still some names we're trying to figure out because there's some people around the corner. I don't know their names yet. You know, some of the newer neighbors, I don't know who they are. But I'm, I've walked past their houses in the last few days. 
and I prayed for them. I actually met a lady the other day. She stopped me and she said, do you know that I live, and she's never stopped all this time. Do you know how I live around the corner and I'm the house that's got all the, all the violets in front? I said, well, it's nice to meet you. I'd never seen her before. Now, what caused that woman to suddenly stop and say hello? I saw that as an answer to prayer. Really. I still don't know her name. <laughs> but I'm working at it. At least we're talking now. She wanted to know about my flowers. And so I thought, you know what? Maybe I should take some to her, and that'd be a good way to get to know her. Because of some of the flowers that we have growing in the front yard. I want us to be on mission. As a matter of fact, we're going to help you do that. If you look in your program today, there's a sheet that looks like this. And I, it's going to be crazy for some of you what we have in mind, okay? Now that you've prayed, now you're like me, still trying to learn their names and develop some relationships. We want you to now, over the next few weeks, begin to plan out how you're going to go a little bit further. You can see on one side, I want to love my neighborhood. But beyond that, I've got some ways on the back that you might say, well, I could get a bunch of people together to have coffee, or we could do a neighborhood barbecue. Uh, we could create a special event. We could do a televised event, you know, from sports or something or other. Invite some people over for dinner. I think what I'm hoping that our, our neighborhood will do will be a block party because we have a number of people now in our neighborhood who attend our church who didn't in the past. And I'm hoping that we can get all together with all those people and, and, and all of us together maybe approach the village and say we shut down our street for a couple hours and we'll do a block party get everybody, uh, put some tables out there. That's what I'm thinking maybe we'll do. I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I'm praying about it, and I'm asking you to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, what we'd like you to do is fill this out. And maybe you've got some answers, res responses to that yet today. Or you may say, I'm not sure yet, but I want some help. This is going to be in your programs this week and next week, okay? And next week we're going to probably come a little more intensely on this. But I'll, can we... Can we help you? Because I want you to be on mission in your neighborhood this, this summer. I want you to be on mission to be kind. And the best way to be kind is to say, how can I do things that are going to cause people to look to heaven rather than to hell? Now, here's our plan. I'm asking you to fill this out today. There are baskets at the back of the room or down the bottom of the stairs, or the top of the stairs. And uh, just say, I'm interested. I, I don't know all the details yet. Here's what we've got. For all these various events here, we've created, the staff have created um, some guides. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, some checklists. We've even started training coaches so that if you've got a problem, you call them up and say, there's some people who are going to guide you through each event. And here's some really cool things. I'll say it straight up. This is a First Christian Church project, but a number of other churches have heard about this. And so that this series is going to be preached in 19 other churches around the city. Uh, either starting this week or going into June, into July. And so there are going to be other churches, other Christians from your neighborhood doing the same thing. So maybe you could get together and work it out together. Here's my hope, guys, that we will see this city, like we sang, that the work of God in this building would flow to other buildings, would flow to this city, and then from the city to the rest of the world. So I want to pray with this about you, pray about this with you, and uh, let's see what God does. All right, let's pray. Lord, we do want to love our neighborhoods. Um, and for all of us, God, it's a scary deal because it's real easy to just pull in and open up the garage door. And maybe it's one thing to know the next door neighbor, maybe the guy across the street and the old lady down the road, Lord, who needs some help now and then, but some of the others, Lord. But Lord, we as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want to be stuck 
in doing life like the rest of the culture. We're going to be the adventuresome ones, God. We're going to be the ones who take the risk. We're asking you to help us do that. Not in our strength, but in the mercy, through the mercy that we've received, may others, Lord, receive mercy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So before, we, we cl- before I close today, I want to see if I could personally bring this home to you a little bit or just to help you, two comments. One, the goal in this program or anything we do like this, guys, is never to get people just to come to First Christian Church. Now, I hope that as we do this, we'll see lots of people come to know Christ. And if some of them end up at First Christian Church, that's cool. But frankly, if we can help fill the pews of other congregations' buildings, I'm, not, I'm all up in for that, okay? Because my, my hope is that we change the course of people's individuals' lives when it comes to heaven versus hell. And they don't have to be in this building to have that happen. So hear that very clearly. And then secondly, some of you are wondering, okay, but what about the street sweeper thing? What happened? Okay, so here it is. The street sweeper was parked, I don't know, around the corner from our house. And the guy who's nameless, who had spent the summers up in northern British Columbia learning to drive different pieces of machinery, kept seeing that key in there, wondering what to do. And meanwhile, a woman down the street got another flat tire. And with that, it was a call to action. (laughs) So apparently, he got in there, put his foot on the clutch, put it in neutral, figured out where neutral was, and turned the key, and the thing fired up just like that. He pushed all the levers, levers. We call it, say, levers or levers in Illinois? Levers. He pushed all the levers, and it was a rota- had a rotating um, brush on it. You can see it there. And no vacuum, okay, no vacuum. It's just going to push dirt. And so figured out how to do that, and that brush could go, you know, forwards, and you could create angles and that sort of stuff. Figured out how to get it in reverse and go forward and how to get the brush to go up and down. Turned it off, went from door to door and said, in the next half hour, we're going to change what the street looks like. Knocked on the door, didn't know some of the people. About 10 houses up and down the street on both sides. Said, this thing that's been parked down here will strip everything out of the gutters and out of the side of the roads, out of the side of the street. In the, we can get it in the center, but we're going to end up with a pile. So in the next 20 minutes, we're going to do something very quickly. We're going to get all that dirt in the center of the road, and you get out here with a trash can and a shovel, and you start shoveling. And that's exactly what the guy did. Went up and down the road... Got all that dirt pushed into the center. It was about, it was about a, a pile of dirt about that wide and about, well, probably about that, that tall right there. And everybody came out with their shovels and their trash cans, and we got that dirt off the, off the, um, off the roadways, and nobody ever had any flat tires. And, and it's been a secret in the neighborhood until now. <laughs> we parked that um, sweet street sweeper back where it was, turned the engine off, and Never did call the guy up from Springfield. But we did do one thing. We left it in backwards. Pointing the other direction from where, the way it had been earlier, just to mess with the guy. But that's what, so I've been told. <laughs> hey, you know what? If we can be daring and a little bit risky and a little bit creative, our neighborhoods can have some of the junk cleaned up some of the places in people's lives where they end up with flat tires and they end up struggling in life. God could use us. I'm up for it. Are you up for it?
Let's take a run at it this year, okay? I also want us to have time together for communion today. And so to that end, may I remind you that Scripture does talk regularly about Christ being rich in mercy, offering grace to us. There's mercy fully explained. The Son of God becoming obedient, coming as a servant, Scripture says, and being obedient even death on a cross. Obedient to death, death on a cross. And This God who had so much and us who had little, he poured his life into us through his death, his sacrificial way of dying so that our sins could be forgiven. Maybe you're here today and you go, man, I have no idea what all that means, but I'm kind of interested. Well, we're going to have communion, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're invited to join with us to eat and drink as the trays are passed. If you don't know Jesus, um, maybe you could say, Lord, I'd like to know more about who you are, and I'm willing to take a big leap. And you can do that in prayer as we pray together, and you can say, hey, from this point, I'm I'm, I am now a person on mission for my community. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I have lots of friends in this, in this room today. All of us, God, are people who are striving to figure out how to do life. And Lord, we're willing to take some risks, but I thank you that you are the God of great risk and the God of great passion and direction and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, for each of us in this room, particularly Lord, maybe for those who don't yet know you, may, may each of us pray a prayer, God, please forgive me my sins. And we're going to decide again today or perhaps for the first time, we're deciding to walk with you. We're deciding that Jesus Christ is the answer to our lives and that you who are rich in mercy have poured into ours. So we thank you for that gift, for his sacrificial death, for Jesus Christ himself who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day.